Hello everyone, and welcome to Where the Cruiserweights Play, a celebration of the WCW Cruiserweights Episode 2. This is your host, Stephen Jackson, aka DJ215. I want to first of all say thank you so much to everybody for your amazing, so incredible feedback to the first episode. It's incredibly daunting um, recording the first show um, to yourself on a microphone and not knowing how you sound or how it will come out to people or how people respond to it. It's a daunting prospect, but the feedback I've had and the um, positive um you know views what people have sent through and the amount of listens i've had has been absolutely astonishing and unbelievable so thank you everybody so much um as we said previously on other episodes of the bbg wrestling uh podcast with myself and mark this will be a sporadic thing so the when the cruiserweight where the cruiserweights play sorry will be coming out uh, as and when uh time permits but i hope that each episode people will enjoy listening and enjoy learning more about the cruiserweight division. Um, as I said in the first episode, it's something which is very close to my heart, and I hope that came across. It's something which I would like more people to be invested in and to enjoy. There's so much depth and uh, sort of um, knowledge to be learnt from the cruiserweights for both fans and for wrestlers coming up in the world today. Um, we just need to learn more about what they did and how much of an impact they made. So I just want to say thank you again to everybody before I just uh, get into the second episode. And I want to say thank you just before I do start actually to my friends at bbgwrestling.com who have given me this platform to be able to speak openly on my passion and my knowledge of the Cruiserweight division. Um, you don't often get an opportunity like that um, given to you. So I just want to say thank you to everybody at bbgwrestling.com and for listening in so yeah so without further ado this second episodes of where the cruiserweights play can get on the way so the first match i have chosen to highlight in the second episode um is quite a historic match for many reasons um this past month of um september was 25 years since wcw nitro aired for the first time on television, 25 years. I was three years old when Nitro first aired. Uh, incredible. Um, I think 25 years has passed since then. Um, so this first match is, from the research I've carried out, is actually the first ever Cruiserweight Championship match to take place on uh, Nitro, uh, Monday Nitro. Um, it was between Rey Mysterio Jr., who was the challenger to the Iceman, uh, Dean Malenko, um, the man of a thousand holds as well. Uh, first time he's appearing on the show. Um, it was the second ever match as well, this between the two. They'd previously fought the night before of this match on the 17th of June 1996, on the 16th of June 1996. And for the wrestling historians and wrestling uh, WCW wrestling fans, among you, they'll know that the 16th of June 1996 was the date of the Great American Bash, where um, most famously Scott Hall and Kevin Nash confronted Eric Bischoff and powerbombed him off the stage. So this was a historic um, rematch for many reasons. Uh, it was also the, uh, Rey Mysterio's debut on WCW Nitro, from what I could gather, which is absolutely phenomenal to think that 
Rey Mysterio hadn't was only on um or it was six years of him being a pro that he finally appeared on WCW Nitro. Unbelievable. Um and it was Dean Malenko's fifth defence of the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. So it was a definitely a month and a match of firsts. So let's get right down into it. Um, in terms of, as with every episode of Where the Cruiserweights Play, I will explain what the wrestlers were wearing. And Rey Mysterio was wearing a black and white, um, his black and white traditional trunks and, um, what say I say trunks, his tights, with um, his black and white mask, um, which looked really cool. And then uh, Dean Malenko had on his traditional black trunks, which had the 1,000 holds um, little um, graphic on the back of them, along with his traditional black vest, which he wore out to the ring. So very standard, very, uh, you know, typical wrestler-esque for Dean Malenko, the man of a 1,000 holds, and Mysterio um, harking into that Lucha Libre um, style, of, uh, style of wrestler. So yeah, so the match itself for a Nitro match again, a TV match, this was absolutely phenomenal. It was 12 minutes of absolute beauty. The match they had the night before at the Great American Bash was something. This was another thing as well. This was beautiful wrestling. The chemistry both Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio shared was off the charts. It was like nothing you've ever seen. There was nine near falls in this match, which must have lasted about 12 minutes. Nine near falls. So we're talking about a near fall sort of every minute and a half, which is incredible um, pace these wrestlers were going at. The, um, there was about three dives to the outside, which was crazy, including one which was Rey Mysterio lending uh, landing a top rope frankensteiner out to uh, dean malenko which was crazy um i mean i didn't mention this in the first episode but the fact that dean malenko uh, sorry dean malenko my apologies uh, ray mysterio was able to deliver the amount of athleticism he was able to deliver at the age he was and he was able to keep that going for the majority of his career i think says speaks leaps and bounds about how good a wrestler he actually is. It's phenomenal. Um, the actual uh, match itself was very much um, Dean Malenko trying to um, ground the more um, high-flying Rey Mysterio um, minus the top row Frankensteiner, as I just mentioned. Um, there was a lot of beautiful... Um, Submission moves from Dean Malenko. There was an amazing tortured Boston leg crab onto Rey Mysterio, which looked devastating from Dean Malenko. Very much like the Lion Tamer, which Chris Jericho used to land in WCW. But a lot more um, taut on it. Um, very much an incredible uh, way of using that move. Um, there was a great monkey flip battle, which was great. Um... Rey Mysterio got landed onto the canvas with a vicious-looking electric chair from Dean Malenko, as well as a really vicious-looking lariat um, from the Iceman. Um, I mean, Dean Malenko as well, I just need to say, because he didn't feature in the first episode, Dean Malenko is such an incredible talent. 
uh, even now to be able to come and train these young guys and to mentor these young wrestlers coming through. If any wrestlers are listening to this or if any fans are listening to this and wonder why Dean Malenko um, or what was so good about Dean Malenko, these are the kind of matches you need to see. In the world of the Cruiserweights, Dean was a complete um, anomaly in that he was very straight-laced, very non... Um, uh, aesthetic in the sense that he didn't have a flash mask, he didn't have flash attire, very traditional in his wrestling, but very hybrid. He was called the man of a thousand holds because he literally could land anything anywhere, anywhere in the ring against anybody. He was just one of a kind and his intensity and his um, crispness is what made his matches so beautiful to watch just always exciting to watch the Malenko matches I mean in this match as well we've got a vicious brain buster to Rey Mysterio which was a near fall we've got a massive power bomb um which Rey Mysterio landed right on his neck Rey Mysterio Jr um which was vicious and we got a camel clutch which was amazing and we also got a beautiful looking um slam from um Dean Malenko to Rey Mysterio when he was trying to land a crossbody, which is something I'd never seen before. It, it was done very um, uniquely, that particular move. Um, so definitely, again, a move to check out and a match to check out. And Malenko got the win through an inver uh, inverted bulldog. Um, right out of nowhere, no one expected it to happen. Um, no Texas Cloverleaf in this one, no top rope, um, back uh, gut buster. Um, TV match, amazing quality, just phenomenal stuff. This is the kind of match which makes you proud to be not only a Cruiserweight fan, but a wrestling fan. Uh, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal stuff. Something you need to go out and check ASAP. It'll be available on the WWE Network. Um, it was the 17th of June, 1996, this match um, from Nitro. Uh, as you know, Nitro's all over the WWE Network, so definitely go out and watch this one if you haven't seen it already. Um, so, yeah, this was great. Um, and the start of a... The beginning of a feud which would go on for several years in WCW between Rey Mysterio Jr. and Dean Malenko as well, so historic for many reasons. A historic match... And an amazing match. So yeah, great stuff. Uh, the next match I've chosen for this week's um, Where the Cruiserweights Play is a six-man Lucha Libre tag between uh, Cyclope, Juventud Guerrera and Super Calo against the Rudos team of Conan, La Parca and Velano Number no. 4. Um, and this took place at Super Brawl 1997. So... We'll get into the match itself in a moment. We just need to go for a rundown of the actual outfits. So Juventud Guerrera had on a white and blue mask and then he had on black tights, which was a really cool look. Nice contrast um, style he had there. Uh, Cyclope had on a, his amazing black suit with the eye um, mask sticking out. Um, the big, the big um, garish eye. And then crazy yellow spikes as well sticking out of his uh, bodysuit, which looked great. Super Calo had on his traditional silver mask and sunglasses and his beanie hat or baseball cap, which always looked really unique and fun, as well as his baseball-style um, jersey and uh, shorts, which was great. And La Parca had on this time a black suit, 
with a white trim and then he had red around the white as well which was a ton of fun and then he had black diamonds on the white uh, which was fun and Laparka's just even as we know now today because he's still around tearing it up just his look is just so striking and incredible uh Conan had on a sort of rave-esque outfit, I put it as. So it was like a flannel shirt with a white vest and then sort of black jeans, which looked really cool. Very similar to what he would wear later on in TNA with um, the Free Life crew. Uh, so a ton of fun, uh, what he was wearing there. And Villano 4 was wearing his traditional black mask and sort of black and red singlet. A very sort of Rudo-esque style and traditional Lucha Libre outfit for a um, wrestler from Mexico. We were This match took place at, uh, just to mention as well, this match took place at Super Brawl 4, at uh, 7. Sorry, not Super Brawl, sorry, Super Force, uh, Super Brawl 1997. <laughs> um, bloopers. Super Brawl 1997. Um, so we had Mike Tenay on commentary once again, uh, as he was in the previous uh, episode delivering his um, expertise over this match and his uh, knowledge of the cruiserweights and the Lucha Libre style of wrestling. Um, this was just fast-paced. It was crazy hybrid wrestling of so many different levels. We had, um, so we had four, um, five close two count, six uh, two counts, I must say, I apologise. Six close two counts, which was crazy um, in this match. It lasted about 11 minutes. We got a beautiful set of hurricane runners from Juventud Guerrero at various points. We got an amazing springboard drop kick to uh, Conan, which looked awesome. Uh, La Parca hit an amazing kick um, while Super Calo was in the Tree of War, which looked awesome. Conan came in and delivered a vicious-looking powerbomb to Cyclope and really showed off his power in the ring. Because um, I will mention that this match as well, a lot of the wrestlers in this match were a lot bigger than the traditional Cruiserweight um, size. They were a bit bigger, uh, especially Cyclope, uh, Villano, Thor, and, um, and Conan. So it kind of mixed it up a little bit in a fun way it was definitely um a breath of fresh air to see guys who were a little bit bigger um taking on the uh smaller guys la parka hit an amazing looking suicide dive while um super Calo was on the um chair on the outside uh, mimicking what had happened in the last um, match we'd seen on the previous episode uh between the team of uh, Hector Garza, Rey Mysterio Jr. and Juventud Guerrero against um, Sacosis, La Parca and Silver King. So that move, which was always a great thing, great cool little move he did. Um, there was a couple of botches. Cyclope hit, uh, tried to hit a top rope Asai Moonsault, but actually crashed and burned. It looked pretty nasty, I must admit. Um, it took him a while to get back up to the ring, which was a bit scary watching it back, but thankfully he was okay. Um, there was an awesome looking 450 for um, Juventud Guerrera, uh, which even today that move looks incredible and back then it looked incredible. We had a Hurricane Rana springboard uh, to La Parca, which got a two, a, a two count, which was awesome. Um, we had a double rolling cradle, which was crazy. 
um, which then the other wrestlers came into the ring and we actually had like all six wrestlers in the ring at once, which was crazy sort of lucha, um, tag team work, six man trios work, which was awesome. Uh, we had a triple suicide dive to the outside, which was great. Um, all wrestlers going out into the ring once again. And what was definitely my move of the night um, was we had the, um, as Mike Tenet mentioned on commentary, we had the star. So if you um, haven't ever seen it before, it's where two wrestlers um, uh, sat in the ring sort of in a diamond shape and then other two wrestlers come along and grab the wrestler's legs, similar to that of um, a rowing machine, and then start um, attacking the legs sort of in leg locks. And then in the middle of the star, we had... Um, La Parca hit um, Juventud Guerrero into a Mexican surfboard, which was beautifully done, right in the middle of the star, which looked great. I thought, it was, and the crowd were going nuts for it because it was just traditional lucha libre, um, six man stuff. It was fantastic. Um, and then what was the end of the match um, was Conan hit a crazy, um, massive power bomb drop, power drop bomb. Um, which then on Juventud Guerrero, which led into a three count. People thought it was a two count, but it was actually a three. Um, so there was a bit of miscommunication with the referee, but thankfully it didn't take away from the match because once again, this was six-man action, which was just... I had trouble writing all of this down because it was just so good. Um, all the wrestlers played a part. Everyone looked incredible, both athletically and in the ring. It was a match which got the crowd pumped. It got me excited. There were so many things in this match which were both unique for this particular match and uh, traditional Lucha Libre wrestling. It was definitely a celebration of the six-man style of wrestling. And another match I would say, go out of your way to see. This is available on YouTube via um, the WWE um, profile for free to check out and it's also available on the WWE Network as part of the Super Brawl 7 event so definitely Super Brawl 1997 sorry my apologies Super Brawl 1997 so a match you definitely need to go out of your way to see this one um, I can't recommend this thing enough it was incredible um, so yeah it's kind of an um, regular occurrence that everything's incredible and leading into that we have Probably the most incredible match of this particular episode, arguably. It was from Spring Stampede 1999, so we've jumped two years later. And it was between Juventud Guerrero, once again, this time unmasked, against the up-and-coming Blitzkrieg. Um, this was the second heavily advised match between the two. Juventud won the uh, first match between both of them, um, which took place on... Uh, WCW Nitro um, a few weeks before. Uh, this was Blitzkrieg's pay-per-view debut in WCW. And it was also, interestingly, the first time that Juventud Guerrero had wrestled at Spring Stampede, an annual event for uh, WCW, which is pretty cool. Um, it was uh, where Blitzkrieg kind of made his name, one might say. Um, he was wearing his traditional red and silver black outfit well predominantly red with the silver trim and then the black along with it which looked really cool in his mask and then Juventud Guerrero had on the black sort of um, vest followed by the yellow and green tights um, now he'd been unmasked and his um, gold uh, chain which looked really cool um, I mean it's interesting because Juventud Guerrero had been unmasked so it actually helped his 
um, charisma as opposed to hindered it, which was a really interesting thing on Hoovy's part. Um, and a lot of wrestlers obviously want to lose the mask in Lucha Libre are hindered by the fact they don't have the mask, but uh, in Hoovy's case, it actually helped him. Um, so yes, that's a cool little uh, note to make as well. But again, this match was just absolutely fantastic cruiserweight action between an up-and-comer in Blitzkrieg and an established star in Juventud Guerrera. We got so many beautiful moves in this match. We got an awesome Tilt the World backbreaker about two minutes in, which was the third near fall of this thing. There was seven near falls in this match, which was about 10 minutes long, uh, the match itself. So about a near fall every, again, minute and a half, which, you know, is pretty fast going for a match of this calibre. Um, we also got some uh, crazy chops from Juventud Guerrera. We got an amazing-looking handspring elbow from Blitzkrieg, um, who'd only been in WCW a few months, as Mike Tanay mentioned on commentary. Um, he'd been on the independent scene a lot longer, but this was kind of his first big hurrah in the company, as mentioned earlier on. So to be able to land the move like that perfectly was beautiful. Um, we got a great-looking springboard drop kick from Juventud Guerrero while um, Blitzkrieg was getting up from uh, a slam which landed him right landed right in the head which looked awesome um and devastating um Hoover hit a great looking top rope splash as well and there was also a vicious looking brain buster which looked awesome uh, Hoover was definitely more confident in this match than I'd seen him previously without the mask uh with the mask sorry without his mask he definitely was able to show more of his personality and more of his style of wrestling which was really interesting to see um, really added into his um, talents in the ring, without doubt. Um, we got an awesome-looking um, Mexican surfboard as well, which was then counted into a near fall from Blitzkrieg, uh, which Juventud Guerrero landed onto Blitzkrieg, which I thought looked great. Um, the Mexican surfboard is one of those moves which just looks so visually appealing and just so visually striking where you lift the man up and you know you've got enough strength to be able to hold his whole body up while you've got him in the uh, submission. It looked it, it looked phenomenal back then and it still does now. Um, such a great move um, and just makes you just jump out of your seat. Um, we had an awesome splash to the outside from uh into a massive drop kick which who and who'd hit onto blitzkrieg uh blitzkrieg tried to go for the top rope splash but got countered um the impact of him hitting the concrete floor blitzkrieg as well as Hoover was definitely to be felt on the in the audience and for the people watching at home you could hear the slap of the um concrete definitely um Hoover put all of his um, strength into that drop kick and it really showed. Um, so that was great. We had an awesome looking Asai moonsault though later on from Blitzkrieg, which he landed perfectly onto um, Huantu Guerrera. Top rope um, Asai moonsault, I might add, which um, Cyclope tried to land in the previous match, but um, unfortunately missed. This was done um, first time going and it looked amazing. Um, Hooventud hit a very vicious looking neck breaker onto Blitzkrieg. There was a lot of very high impact moves both in the ring and to the outside in this match, which I thought really worked really well. 
Um, it really felt like they were putting everything into this match because it was for number one contendership for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, uh, which was going to be uh, fought over the night after on Nitro because this took place on a Sunday, so Monday Nitro was the night uh, was the following night. So there was a lot of um, a lot on the um, at stake in this match. So it definitely played into the um, significance of certain moves. There was also an amazing looking Phoenix splash from Blitzkrieg, which he missed, sadly. But the way he executed that looked phenomenal, um, especially the way they caught it on camera, which looked great. Um, I mean, Blitzkrieg as well, he's one of those guys who, if you haven't seen a lot of Blitzkrieg's work, he wasn't in WCW very long, or the industry as a whole. He went on to um, only wrestle for a few months in WCW before he retired. He's a wrestler you really need to go and seek out um, because of just how important he was, I think, to a lot of wrestlers such as Amazing Red, uh, the SATs, and um, guys like Will Ospreay. He really um, brought in a different style of high-flying, which was it was a hybrid between the Lucha Libre, but also this indie style we see a lot today from guys like Alex Zane, Blake Christian, um and guys like Bandido, much more sort of high-impact manoeuvres. Um, and this was a, a good example of that with the Phoenix Splash, which looked you know, beautifully done, but he just sadly didn't hit it just on point. Um, but it looked great. We also then, for the victory, which is probably one of the scariest moves you'll ever see, um, the second rope Hoovy Driver from Juventud Guerrero. So the Hoovy Driver... Um, was essentially a um, pile driver where Juventud Guerrero sort of got them in the um, power slam position and then landed them straight on their head. Um, echoing slightly, um, greetings from Ashbury Park by um, Bam Bam Bigelow, but um, it, it, it definitely didn't um, feel just as unsafe, but this manoeuvre in particular in this match did feel very unsafe and very devastating looking manoeuvre. Um, there was no way you were going to get up from it. And even today, when you watch it back, it just makes you jump out of your seat. I mean, when I watch this thing back numerous times, it still just absolutely um, shocks me to the core that someone would be that brave to take that manoeuvre. It looked incredible. Um, scary, but beautifully done as well. And Juventud Guerrero got the uh, three count after that incredible uh, Hoover driver from the second rope. Um and deservedly so. It was another phenomenal encounter between um, two brilliant cruiserweights who both were very similar yet very different. And if you were going to end a match with a manoeuvre, then the Hoovy driver from the second rope was the way to do it. <laughs> there wasn't much getting up after that. So, um, those are my three matches. And once again, this match between Who and Two Guerrero and Blitzkrieg, this one is available on not only the WWE Network, but it is available on YouTube for free um, as part of the WWE's um, YouTube account. So it's there for everyone to see and enjoy. Uh, definitely recommend it. I recommend all three of these matches. They're all very different. They're all a ton of fun to watch. Um, and I wanted to be able to choose once again three matches which um, showcase not only the... Um, high flying and the risk taking of the cruiserweights, but also a lot of the um, the uh, classic wrestling of the cruiserweights as well, which I feel this match uh, and the others really do really well. 
Um, so in terms of a um, a who wore it best for this week, I think it's um, without doubt got to be Cyclope uh, with his black and yellow esque um, bodysuit and his one eyed mask. Just visually striking. You won't see anyone else with an outfit like this anywhere. Even today, I mean, it just looks, you know, unbelievable what he was wearing. Um, it, it was just so unique and one of a kind. And, you know, it just worked so well for his character. So definitely Cycloplay. And then the move of the show. Um, craziest move of the week. Without doubt, as I've just mentioned, it's probably no surprise to anybody. But it's got to be that second rope Hoovy driver from Juventud Guerrera. Um... The pile driver itself as a manoeuvre from, you know, the onto the canvas is scary enough, but then when you add in that you're on the second rope and then you're landing directly onto your head, you know, it takes guts to be able to do that and to be able to impactfully end a match in such a striking way, but be able to just do it so uniquely, I think. It, it couldn't not be that manoeuvre, what was the match of the week. Um, just just incredible. Um, and I have to give props to both men because they just ended up, you know, putting on a clinic um, and this match and manoeuvre really showcased that perfectly. Um, so, yeah, so it's a little bit shorter, this episode of Where the Cruiserweights Play. Um, I was aiming th these matches as well, just to point out, if you are going to go out and wonder, oh, what will it take to watch these? They're very short matches, all of them. They're hitting about the 10 or the 15 minute mark, so... About 10 minutes per match is what I aim to talk about on the podcast um, because, you know, one of the things I love about the Cruiserweights as well is that they hit a lot of things in a lot of, in a short period of time um, and just were impactful and all balls to the wall and very much um, as much as you could fit into a short period of time to get the crowd pumped and this podcast kind of goes that way as well. Um, in that it's you know not going to ever be a long thing. It's always going to be short and sweet and talk about get to the bare bones of what um what our match is all about. So yeah, it's um definitely been once again a ton of fun to go back and revisit these matches. Um, I hadn't seen the six man tag before, so that was a ton of fun to watch. Um, from fresh eyes perspective, so it was a ton of fun. Um, and yeah. It was once again a pleasure to be able to bring you Where the Cruiserweights Play uh, here on bbgwrestling.com. Uh, um, just to finish off as well, you can find me on Twitter, Stephen Jackson, at stj215. Um, if anyone has any requests for any particular Cruiserweight matches, definitely get in contact via uh, direct message or just tweet me when I tweet about this uh, podcast to people. Just get in touch. I'll gladly watch particular matches. And um, in terms of the Broken But Glorious podcast network, which I'm, this podcast is part of, you can find the website at bbgwrestling.com on Google or at Twitter at bbgwrestling. So, yeah, so that concludes this second episode of Where the Cruiserweights Play. And once again, I hope you've enjoyed it. I have to thank everybody from the bottom of my heart for how much you've... Um, Praise the first episode. It's a unique experience to be able to, you know, bring something I love to a wider audience and just talking into a microphone, you do get into the habit of thinking that you are just going on 
but it's so humbling to know that actually, you know, people are enjoying what I'm producing. So expect more episodes, more matches and more moments soon. So thank you everyone and see you all later.